What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blockash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 303. Today, I have the CEO of 21.co, Haney, here on the show to talk more about what they are working on going into the new year. Haney, welcome to the show, man. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. Pleasure to have you today. Um, before we kind of jump into everything and start talking about 21.co, what you guys are doing, uh, what your guys' mission is, your goals, your objectives, I uh, would love to learn a bit more about you, and I'm sure the audience would too. So give us a bit more about yourself and your background, maybe how you got into the space, maybe um, some of your prior history leading up to 21.co. Um, sure. Give us a bit of detail. No, absolutely. Uh, born and raised in Egypt, um, Alexandria, Egypt, uh, on the Mediterranean, went to university um, in the States. And before 21.co, um, I had started and built two fintechs before, both of which were headquartered in San Francisco. Uh, the first one was a very consumer uh, checkout uh, company that didn't go so well. Uh, the second one was a payouts uh, API business that we ended up selling um, for a nice sum. And the common investor in both of those companies was a, was a famous investor called Tim Draper. He was my lead investor in the previous um, two companies, and he's actually um, the the person that is responsible for me learning more and, and discovering uh, crypto. Because I think back in 2011 or 2012, um, I I was introduced to Bitcoin for the first time through uh, a couple other companies he had introduced me to that he had also invested in. And I remember at this time getting a, a flash drive of 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin and there, there were three Bitcoins on it. Uh, and so it was, it was about 15 bucks or so um, a Bitcoin. So quite, quite a while back. Um, but this um, company would be, I think, my third uh, in fintech. Um, and previously, both other companies were in fintech as well. So that was a very easy way to discover and learn about crypto. Uh, but I'm guilty of, of something that I think a bunch of us may have done, which is the first time that um, one learned about crypto or Bitcoin versus when they they really had a light bulb moment and, and believed it 100 percent versus maybe when they started working with it. It wouldn't be until uh, 2017 that I started really seriously um, taking a look at it personally and professionally. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so your experience, I, I guess, with Bitcoin, everything uh, really kicked off when you started working with it and working with different potential use cases on blockchain versus, you know, some of us starting as investors. Um, but that's really cool. And you got to work with Tim as well. What were some of the takeaways, maybe some things you learned uh, working with that guy? He's a bit of a crazy guy and crazy is good. Um, sort of question everything. Uh, do not come into equations with assumptions already. Um, this was a time when uh, it was around 2011. So Elon Musk still wasn't as successful as he is now. Like we had just gone through a financial crisis. Tesla and SpaceX and other audacious kinds of companies uh, weren't guaranteed to do well. I think Uber had just started. Uh, and a lot of it was just, the ability and the freedom to think audaciously, um, the ability and the freedom to not take anything for granted in terms of assumptions and, and to think about things from the very beginning in a first principles kind of approach. 
I think those were some of the biggest things that he was very passionate about. Uh, and I'd like to say that those, some of those effects have bled into our um, relationship coming from him directly. Oh, that's so cool, man. Um, talking about 21.co now, how did you guys come to, you know, found that and put that together? Was there like an original idea behind it? Was there an original inspiration? Um, what's the story there? Yeah, so it's actually really fascinating because we never intended to build this company. Uh, it just so happened um, a little bit by accident. So if, if, I, if I can fast forward, I said 2017 is when I started seriously looking at crypto. Uh, the main reason behind it wasn't that I didn't believe in Bitcoin before and believed in it now. It was just that up until that moment, up until the end of 2016, and I'll explain what happened at the end of 2016, but up until the end of 2016, I um, I thought crypto would be a very small market. I thought it could be interesting, but I thought maybe as an index of the black market, I didn't believe that enough competent governments would allow this to function. Uh, and I didn't understand how little governments can do once the network is, is up. And then sort of at the end of 2016, I'm Egyptian and the Egyptian pound was devalued after decades of terrible financial policies, et cetera, all of a sudden the currency was worth half overnight what it was before. And inflation that year was 35%. And I remember seeing people who are about to lose 60% of their net worth um, now casually trying to buy Bitcoin on local Bitcoins, um, finding someone, uh, trading cash for flash drives. And these were fairly sophisticated, middle-class, upper-middle-class folks, doctors, engineers, lawyers, etc. And I remember thinking after this moment, I understand Bitcoin. I understand that this will continue to exist as a need for so many people, and this will be bigger tomorrow than it is today. And looking more into uh, Ethereum at the time and the amount of possibility of programmable money, and essentially what happened here is that on a personal level, I just thought that this would be a wonderful thing to invest in. And so I tried to get my family um, who invests in technology startups and, and technology companies and things like that to make a meaningful investment in both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and my co-founder was trying to do the same thing with her mother, who was also trying to invest a meaningful sum. That's actually how we made the company. The, the reason we made the company is we were looking for this product. Uh, we scoured the globe. We're international company. Uh, sorry, we're international people. I'm Egyptian. My co-founder is Italian. And we were both raised um, or spent a considerable amount in the United States. And so really the world was our oyster. And I remember looking alongside um, Ophelia around the world, six continents, I think 27 different jurisdictions. And trying to find this product, uh, trying to find then the best place to build this product. But essentially, we built the products that uh, our mothers and our families wanted in the first place to make an investment in the space. Fairly, uh, I would say, tech bullish, but not tech sophisticated, um, and run a professional uh, shop that, that has uh, people that may not be technically technologically sophisticated and still want some exposure to crypto, to the underlying asset. And, and that's what we provided when we listed uh, the world's first uh, crypto ETP uh, back at the end of 2018. 
Got it. What are some of those things that you help people with that you guys work on? Um, what does what that product suite kind of look like a little bit at first glance? Sure. So we have about 50 products overall. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty big uh, product suite right now, the biggest in the space. And we do both ETFs as well as tokens. And what I mean by that is that if you wanted to, say, buy um, exposure to decentralized finance um, or staking protocols, well, chances are we have an exchange-traded product as well as an ERC-20 version, and in the future as well as a Solana program version of it, et cetera, because ultimately what you're trying to do is buy exposure to decentralized finance protocols and projects, and the... the um, the method in which I share that with you or I give that to you could be best an ETF for some user, but for another user, potentially an ERC-20 token would be far superior um, as a form to do that. And so our product suite is, is fairly varied. Uh, you can, on the, especially on the ETF side, this makes more sense. You can buy exposure to any crypto uh, that you can think of. Um, we cover um, a lot of the top ones. Um, I think we end up covering comfortably the top 15 to 20 uh, on an individual basis and then the rest in more thematic chunks. So you can buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana, um, Polkadot, uh, a lot of the staking ones we'll stake on your behalf and return to you the staking rewards minus a small fee. In addition to that, you can buy a bunch of baskets that represent maybe the, the whole market if you want exposure to the entire space with just one uh, stock or thematic ones. I, I think tomorrow we're launching a staking uh, index ETP that's supposed to be very high yield generating as a result of all the staking activities on it. And it's a way for someone to just buy that uh, and not worry about anything else. Um, and buy the whole index, not just bet on one staking protocol as well, if, if you believe in proof of stake as, as a technological method. We also have a couple of Bitcoin um, and Ethereum shorts. We're building more short and leverage activity. So again, shorting and, and, and leverage bets are very hard to do. We try to make it as easy as buying uh, a share. And we also have a uh, one USD yield product as well as one traditional uh, mix of gold and Bitcoin product. Got it. Where are these traded? Are these traded on the US stock exchange? No, so we, we don't have any American products uh, right now. The, the American regulators have, and this is all quite public, so it's quite famous, mm -hmm. haven't yet accepted a physically backed Bitcoin ETF. Uh, they accepted a futures-based Bitcoin ETF back in mm -hmm. the day. Uh, we don't think that's a very good product construction. It doesn't match uh, perfectly the price. And we're starting to see some of the issues when you don't match the price uh, that we're seeing with some of these listed trusts um, that are experiencing a lot of problems. So we, we don't want to do anything like that. Uh, we are broadly available um, across Europe primarily, as well as the Middle East, where we listed the first Bitcoin ETP. Uh, and we're working on a few geographies, including the United States. Uh, where we're obviously working on a Bitcoin ETF uh, in America, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of public news there. We have a pretty big partner in, in Kathy Wood of Arc, uh, who's also one of our uh, board members, uh, and we we have this joint partnership with Arc to bring about a Bitcoin ETF in America that that we're excited about when the regulators are comfortable allowing. 
Yeah, that's exciting. I know they've been working on a Bitcoin ETF uh, in the US for quite a long time now. Uh, is there any kind of timeline or horizon for that to come to fruition? Or is it really just up to the regulator and if they can ever push something out? So, I mean, everything is always up to the regulator, but mm -hmm. we have um, regular conversations with, with them on the subject. There are some regulators. At this point, we are we're regulated by maybe a dozen national regulators, and we're trying to be regulated perhaps by another dozen, uh, which is adding new geographies, new territories, et cetera. And so there are some regulators that we're speaking to on a weekly basis, others on a monthly basis. And what I have seen is that there's definitely a lot of um, buy-in across uh, the globe from regulators looking to make this safer to invest in, uh, of which the ETF or the ETP is a, is a very, very good variety. Uh, without getting too much into details with any one specific geography, because we try to keep our conversations uh, behind closed doors with regulators, every regulator is looking for something slightly different. That's, that's one of the interesting things. And, and their concerns are also slightly different. But as long as there's positive momentum forward, we understand that it, it's a matter of time that will happen at some point. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. And it's interesting because in, in the vast majority of places that we're expanding into or, or, dis, or exploring, nothing of the recent debacles in, in crypto land have really moved the regulator one way or another. They're thinking about this on a long-term perspective. And, and I think that's something that I at least very uh, much appreciate from them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, definitely with all the debacles and uh, the complete meltdown in 2022, I don't know if regulators are going to push forward relatively quickly, but um, there, there's a lot out there. You know, I, I think we're, we're going to turn the corner here in 2023. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Sure. Maybe what some of that outlook looks like. Um, I also, when I was digging into you guys, I noticed you guys had like a very specific crypto winter uh, type product suite. Uh, yes. Tell me more. Tell me more about that. Is that like built and designed for builders in the space or developers or what, what does it look like? Yeah. So, so look, we are we are very crypto native um, as a firm. We, we have a lot of people from traditional finance that really complete us. But overall, the identity of this company is not a financial asset manager of Wall Street. That's not really what what we're uh, going for, nor is it who we are. And so um, oftentimes uh, we, we find that we are very big educators for our users, where these users, our customers are constantly looking at us as the crypto experts here. And so we lead forward with research, which we provide for free on every asset uh, that we cover that's in our products. Um, we have provided in, I think, six or seven different languages at this point. Uh, and then the uh, other part of Crypto Winter is that most of our customers who came in the last couple of years have never experienced a Crypto Winter. It is really scary. If you think about what it took for you or I to be comfortable or more comfortable operating under the winters, it's a lot of experience and it's a lot of you know, blood, sweat and tears during some terrible times. And so we try to, in the same way on the research front, explain that this, this is a temporary situation. The underlying fundamentals are still there. Here's why the prices may be uh, dropping. Here's why to be bullish on the future. In the same way, we try to make it as easy as possible 
with no excuses for people to invest in crypto. We think that crypto winter is a wonderful time for people to buy because the prices are very depressed. And we see that. We've seen now over 200 million last year of net new inflows, uh, which given what happened last year has been quite surprising. And so our crypto winter product suite is a collection of ways of shorting or uh, doing some leverage bets on crypto, meaning for people that want to hedge their positions, because we saw most of our customers still held on to their assets. There was very little selling pressure here. And then on top of it, we also introduced uh, the world's cheapest Bitcoin ETP at just 21 basis points and the world's cheapest Ethereum ETP at just 21 basis points. Uh, and the, the reason we put all of that under the crypto winter suite is that now, you know, customers have no excuse not to invest in crypto. Now it's very, 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 very cheap. And on top of that, we provide all of these extra things in case you want to uh, hedge your um, exposure or returns. And then in addition to that, we also launched with uh, Standard & Poor S&P, the, the guys behind the S&P 500, uh, a volatility adjusted uh, Bitcoin uh, product, which again, limits uh, volatility. And so it should protect downsides uh, scenarios a little bit more. And this is just our attempt to uh, launch, let's say, more conservative products that are more geared for conservative investors that we would love to introduce to the world of crypto during the bear market. Nice, nice. It sounds like you guys have quite a diversity of ways you're kind of going at things and providing um, tools and solutions for people, which is really cool, even during this, you know, crypto winter and this bear market where I don't think anyone is ever comfortable in crypto, but especially during times like this, when there's nothing but uh, FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt. And um, it, it's good to have stuff like this. It keeps the community building, keeps community focused. Um, can you explain a little bit the difference between an ETF and an ETP uh, for some of those that out there that probably don't know what an ETP is? Sure. So uh, it's oftentimes just a naming uh, mechanism or preference mm -hmm. between different geographies. Um, it just so happens that in Europe, you can't have an ETF on just a single underlying element. So there's no gold ETF in Europe. It's a gold ETP. In um, I think there, depending on the jurisdiction, there's a requirement where you have to have an index of at least five or 10 or 15 different uh, units in there for it to qualify as an ETF. So our products in some geographies are ETPs, in some are ETCs, exchange-traded commodities, and in some they're actually exchange-traded funds. But by and large, they're actually, regardless of what specific regulators wish to call them, it's the same thing and the same product construction, which is we keep the assets. Um, we have... Uh, the assets backed by the underlying. So when you're buying, you know, $10,000 worth of our Bitcoin ETP, we're actually buying $10,000 worth of Bitcoin. We're actually storing it. We custody it fully. It's physically backed and it's held with a custodian in the background. Um, we have of the 50 products, I want to say we have three, maybe four that do some sort of lending. Um, the shorts, for example, the only way to, to provide a physical short is to uh, lend uh, the asset and some of our yield products. But we disclose that to the end user. And by and large, these are long only products that do not lend the underlying, that allow you to track it one to one and have it physically backed. 
if you look at you know competing products, exchange traded notes don't have to have uh, collateral at all. You're just um, betting on the credit worthiness of whoever is the issuer of that product. And um, other sorts of products like the trusts or um, funds that are not as transparent, uh, well, uh, futures-based uh, ETFs that are, again, not backed by actual Bitcoin, but, but rather Bitcoin futures, um, always seem to deviate from the price uh, somewhat. And, and we really strongly believe that uh, we should sell you $20 worth of Bitcoin for $20. And when Bitcoin's prices grow, when the network grows, we will grow with you. But we're not seeking to do anything more than that as a company. Right. Now, it's good to have the one-to-one -one standard in focus. I think a lot of people are uh, upset in the last year about how much custody has been actually held of their funds, which is kind of crazy when you think about how many exchanges, how many um, wallets out there, how many different platforms don't actually have it all or have it leveraged in a different way or have borrowed the money. It, it's It's been a little scary in 2022. So um, it's sad and it doesn't make sense, right? Because we're losing the trust of a lot of these people that may have explored crypto for the first time. I think it's so short term sighted. And the, the one thing that will bother me to no end, like nothing else, uh, are people ruining long term opportunities by being so short term sighted. Look, I believe Bitcoin, I personally believe, this is not the company, this is me personally. I personally believe Bitcoin um, could reach millions in value. I think Ethereum can be 20 and $25,000. I actually believe in this. And if I'm willing to wait to see this vision happening without screwing any of our uh, customers, we're very happy to grow with our customers and positioning our products in a way where regulations and the regulators um, make sure that we only do it in one way. So when I tell you everything is physically back in custody, we have these daily checks by our regulators. We have regular audits by our regulators and we have them across the globe, across you know more than a, a dozen different uh, listing venues and things like that. But in addition to that, we've structured everything at the, at the company so that we are aligned with the end user. There is no scenario where the end user will lose money and somehow we make money. That's not how we philosophically think we should be aligned here. We, we want to bring the fees down as much as possible while providing us enough room to build an enduring company. We're trying to build a crypto native BlackRock, uh, an on-chain asset management firm from the ground up for our next you know, financial generation here. But in addition to that, I think if we are aligned with the end user and have a very long-term focus on things, that's how great products are made. And that's how I think we, we make this small crypto world of ours bigger and, and more defensible and better, et cetera. Yeah, what's crazy about it when you think more deeply about it is this market has only really existed for like the better part of what, a decade? Mm -hmm. um, and there's no real law out there yet that has been passed, no legislation, nothing, you know, official. There's, there's regulators obviously that step in and do their best, but there, it isn't like a fully legitimized industry yet. And if you look at how well it has done in that period of time and how much money and capital is poured into this market, it, it should make you, anyone very excited about where it's going to go once that first bill gets passed. <laughs> Uh, once that first sovereign fund pours money in, once 
Um, you have bilateral agreements with other countries with how to handle it. Um, it's only exciting times going ahead, I think, in my opinion. Um, and curious too, like from your point of view as well, maybe what you think this is going to look like, you know, not just in 2023, but maybe a couple more years down the line. I think 2023 is going to be a long year. Uh, yeah. I, I think the truth is that no one knows, right? But we have these mm -hmm. predictions based on what we see in front of us and, and the situation does not look wonderful. If you think about it from a global macro perspective, because a lot of crypto is not a risk-free investment. It's like, like venture capital is not a risk-free investment. And if you think about risk assets in the global environment where we have high energy prices, high commodity prices, high food prices, inflation has issues, um, and the central banks are figuring out what, what to do there and how best to do it without prompting a recession, that by itself would make us pause a little bit. The fact that at the same time that this is happening, we in the crypto community are doing a cleanse, um, an exfoliation of a lot of bad actors. And I mean, we both know that a lot of the bad actors have fallen. We, there are also quite a few right now that are in trouble uh, and are in the process of falling, but haven't yet. And there are a few that haven't yet uh, been attacked that, that most likely have some issue with them. Uh, and I think we need to see that through and we need to see that through as soon as possible. Now, in terms of the interest in the in the asset, I can give you some good positive um, signals, which is we have not seen uh, too many people selling, even during the worst of the worst. We had the world's largest Luna ETP and, and, and we saw the, the value of that um, go down to zero very, very, very quickly. Um, and again, we did not see people in the face of that sell. People held. People aren't buying as much as they did a year and a half ago. So, you know, we did 200 million last year of net inflows. We did 1.2 billion the year before. But we did the 200 million at prices that may have been depressed 70 to 90%. So I, I think that's actually a very good sign. Limited trading uh, volumes will will persist. I think people are still um, scared and they don't know where this will end and they're still waiting, but people are ready to allocate. And I can tell you that on a big institutional investor, the kinds of people who will allocate eight and nine figures, we've had a bunch of conversations that are still ongoing. These things take time, sometimes six to 12 months um, to fully convince them and, and to see them make the allocation. And a lot of these things have happened or have started before Luna or before FTX uh, or before any of the other falls, and it hasn't affected it. We're still moving forward. So I think towards the end of this year, if we're super bullish, likely in 2024, we, we should start seeing a recovery. Now, how do we expedite that as a community? We haven't done a great job of building wonderful UX and UI for the next billion users. We have some niche applications that can be used by incredibly technologically uh, sound uh, people, but that's not the vast majority of people on this planet. And I think that it would behoove us uh, in the community to build out um, these use cases, to build out these applications 
and to focus on, again, not being short-term sighted, but, but over the long-term, what does programmable money look like? Why haven't we built more applications there? Uh, I know a little bit about ETFs and programmable uh, money and smart contracts would, would make it much more efficient, would reduce the cost. We're doing some of that ourselves internally uh, and we're going to sell it to traditional players. I think everyone in this space should do that. And as we all do this and uh, the situation stabilizes a little bit, we take some of the leverage and the, and the criminals out of our system, then I, I think the recovery could be very nice um, post that. I don't know when that happens, maybe 2024, maybe 2025, but across the board, I'm actually quite bullish in the medium term on everything, on Bitcoin, on Ethereum, on Solana, on smart contracts in general, um, on NFTs, on the metaverse. I, I believe in it all. And I think that some of these first drafts that we have seen will, will rapidly get big, bigger and better, which is part of the next recovery. With that in mind, since you're so bullish, um, I'm sure 21.co is also pretty bullish, you know, going forward, all the opportunity that's there to take advantage of. What's the game plan for you guys going into 2023? Uh, do you have any events coming up? Any other product launches maybe that you're working on? I know you guys are working on launching in Dubai or you, or you are. Um, what, what do you guys got coming up? A lot of stuff. We, we already launched uh, in Dubai. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's old news, but we're working on a bunch of new nice. geographies. We're working on a bunch of new products. Um, we are going to rapidly expand our tokens line this year. There are a lot of people around the world, uh, in places where they can't access our ETFs that would love to buy some of our products. Uh, and we want to capture those people in, in Guatemala and in Indonesia and in Malaysia, some really wonderful economies that just for the foreseeable future will not have ETFs locally. And, and that's okay. We would like our products in your MetaMask. So we're working on that. We're working on expansions overall. And um, very much behind the scenes, but we're trying to be a good force for crypto in this uh, cleanse that we are going through. We are crypto's largest ETF issuer. We launched the first one. We've been regulated from day one. We're a pretty large company um, with a lot of resources and experience. And some of the things that are happening right now, especially with some of the distressed players, we don't like seeing. And so uh, we've been studying a bunch of things and working with a bunch of people, making some investments, looking at some acquisitions, and very much looking at growing as much as we can while really focusing on uh, stability and soundness of crypto, making what we've already built stronger through more applications, more users, Etc. This year, that's that's the big big themes this year for us. Awesome, very exciting. Um, where can people go to learn more about Twenty One Co? Obviously, they could probably just go to Twenty One Co. But what do you guys have a, a community? Do you have other documentation? Do you have a blog or a newsletter? Where where do you want people to go to consume more of what you guys are putting out? So Twenty One Co. You can see the whole group. Um, if you um, come from a finance background. Go to 21 shares and sign up for the newsletter. We hit every major bank, every private bank um, on a weekly basis with updates and on a quarterly basis with a print magazine of, of research at equity level research materials. We're also on Twitter um, and Telegram. Just look at uh, one of our company names, 21co, 21 shares. Um, and we're, we're available on most of the social channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, Telegram, et cetera. 
What about yourself? What about someone wants to connect with you and be chat? Um, are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? I, I'm, I'm on everything. The thing I use the most uh, is Twitter and I'm just at Haney on Twitter. Uh, at H-A-N-Y uh, is how you can reach me there. Cool. Guys, be sure to go check out 21.co. Check out Haney. Get in contact with him if you guys want to learn a bit more about what they're doing and follow him as well. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the video down below if you haven't done so already. Haney, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate it. Really good conversation. Uh, learned a lot about what you guys are doing. So very excited. And it's really cool how you guys are uh, very flexible, I think, in terms of how you approach the market, whether it's you know good, whether it's in a bear market or a crypto winter, you know, you guys are pushing through and building. And uh, that's one of the most critical things to do during these times. So um, best of luck to you guys uh, rooting for you. This was super fun. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Cheers.